Hello, everyone. First, the bad news. The day of the interview was a cursed production day. Zencaster website broke as we started, and Werby wasn't working for Roddy. So there's a hiccup in this podcast where we disconnected and then had to restart. So apologies for that. But now for the good news. My guest for episode five probably doesn't need an introduction, but here it is anyway. Rotterdam is one of the best casters in our scene who has really been casting since the beginning of StarCraft II, and it shows in his broadcasts. Many of the other casters, myself included, talk about Roddy's natural talent as a commentator, as I'm sure many of you who listen to all the podcasts already know. It was a blast listening to someone who could detail the beginnings of our esport and his thought process when it comes to commentating. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as well. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five with Rotterdam. We had a bit of technical difficulty, so maybe the audio won't be quite as good, but that's okay because the content will more than make up for it. I'm really looking forward to talking with Rotterdam because I think you're going to be the most experienced by far offline caster I've talked to. So I'm really happy that you could actually make time and do this. Thank you so much, Rotterdam. Oh, no, it's going to be fun. I mean, I already watched a little bit of the other episodes you did. And uh, obviously, we have casted quite a few events together by now as well. So obviously, if you ask me, I'll always be that, Jess. Oh, thank you, Roddy. Yeah, you've been casting since, well, basically right off the bat, right? Your first mm-hmm. casting experience was the Home Straight Cup, where they just kind of casually brought you on, right? Yes. Uh, so that was probably just two or three months after the game actually got released. But I was obviously casting Warcraft 3 quite a bit before that. It wasn't as serious and as frequent as it is in StarCraft. But I was actually kind of like the go-to guy for Western broadcast when it comes to uh, Warcraft 3 tournaments back then. So yeah, Home Story Cup was not something I really wanted to cast because I always had like a bit of an ego. And I was like, I don't want to cast unless I actually think that I know more than the people that are watching the game. And with StarCraft 2, that wasn't the case in the beginning because I never played Brute War. So I was like, I, I really don't want to cast. But then Dennis from Take TV was like, Kev, you got to come, you got to come. It's going to be fun. Don't worry, man. You only cast some Protoss matchups because I legit had never seen like a Terran or a Zerg Gold Order <laughs> in my life when I casted from Circle 1. And I was like, okay. But then obviously once I was there, they kind of just abused me for everything. And I pretty much ended up casting the whole tournament. And like people said it was good. I don't think it was actually good. I didn't even know how to pronounce the unit names, to be honest. But uh, I think the most important thing is that most people that watch the broadcast had fun. So after I did Homestar Cup 1, uh, that was kind of the start of, yeah, indeed many more tournaments. Yeah, so that, I mean, there are so many people coming over from Brood War that it's actually kind of amazing. It felt like StarCraft 2 started off with a lot of people from Brood War, just it made mm-hmm. sense, but then it became, it was literally the esport um, from its inception basically till around 2012. But it, it's actually amazing that you would be able to come in kind of casually because it felt like back then everyone was clamoring to be the next Day 9 or Tasteless or, you know, more popular guys. Uh, yes and no. I actually think that it wasn't as appealing to be a caster in 2010 as it is right now. Like if there would be a new RTS, then I think I totally agree with you. There is indeed like everyone that has ever created any piece of content would jump on that opportunity. But when I was casting the first events, first of all, people didn't even know like, you know, if this is something you could actually live off. Day 9, I don't think was really a thing yet in StarCraft 2. Maybe he did some dailies, but that was obviously very different than actually being an employed caster. I think it, it only happened in like 2011, 2012, when people saw all these offline tournaments taking place and all these casters being flown out to the events as well. And then apparently like making some money out of it, people were like, whoa, I want to be a caster, you know? And that's when indeed everyone 
Like at one point, I felt there were more people trying to be a caster in StarCraft 2 than people trying to become a pro player. But I think for the first year and a half, everybody had the dreams of improving and becoming better and becoming one of the best players in the world. And when that done and work out, that's when everyone wanted to cast. But it's actually like in the beginning, there weren't that many people who wanted to cast. Like Dennis pushed me so hard to cast Homestar Cup 1 because nobody else had any interest in doing it. So it's actually kind of funny how, you know, right now that would all be different. But in the beginning of StarCraft 2, casting wasn't really something that stood out there. That wasn't really something that people wanted to do because they're like, why would you sit there all the time and talk about the game? What do you get out of it? Well, it turns out quite a bit, but that's many years later, right? Yeah, that's so interesting. So you came mm -hmm. from Warcraft casting. Um, yep. I actually don't know the, the timeline here. So you were very good. You were a pro uh, Warcraft mm -hmm. player. But I, as I understand it, you weren't like the top top. That was more like a grub. Hey, now. Hey, hey, now. I, I don't know. I'm just... <laughs> no, I don't know. You're right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, go on. Sorry. Uh, but anyways, like, but you you were very, very good. So when did you start the transition when you were doing Warcraft casting? From okay, so I don't know the exact timeline on all of that. Uh, what I can tell you is that I'll never forget in June 2005. That's the first time that I ever qualified for a big international event in Warcraft. And I basically won a ticket to go to a tournament in China. At that point, I'd never even flown with an airplane in my life, you know, never had that kind of a holiday. We did holidays with our family, but only by car. So, you know, that was already an amazing achievement for me. And I was going to fly to the other side of the world. I was super pumped. Um, I was indeed never like the best player in the world, but I was pretty good. Like I was competitive and I did take like series off the best players in the world, you know, and even had a little success once in a tournament in uh, Denmark. Time I ever casted was either 2007 or 2008, and obviously at this point there is no Twitch, right? Uh, the cast, the broadcast back then was done by a program called I think Octoscape. If people had to download that or something, and you had to download this plugin, and then you could watch the ESL broadcast on the ESL website. But most of the time, we always just observed games ourselves through a third-party client called Walk TV. It's kind of like the games in tournaments would show up. All right, bit of a production hiccup there, unfortunate stuff, but we are talking about you in Warcraft and your first time casting in Warcraft. So you're talking about the first time you were able to travel and, and I think that's where we got cut off. Yes, uh, so 2005 was the first time I ever qualified for an international tournament. Then I think I was pretty competitive for like two years where I wasn't indeed the best, but I was taking series of people and stuff like that. It was really cool. Oh, yeah, I was explaining how we used to watch Warcraft 3 games. So oh, I don't yeah. know if we caught that part or not. But basically, there was a third-party program that would allow you to join the game. So you were your own observer within Warcraft. And that's kind of how we just always watched online competition. You just kind of did it yourself. The games would show up in your LAN client. But then, I think it was 2007 or 2008, there was a offline team league final in Cologne, Germany. Uh, I was playing for Fnatic back then. We didn't qualify, but since Cologne is somewhat close, I was like, hey, that's cool, you know, so I'm going to drive there. It was like a little three-hour drive. I showed up there. I was like, I'm just going to hang out with the players and watch the games, you know, as a fan. And then suddenly when I walked into the building, I saw there were two guys sitting behind the desk and they were actually casting the games. I was like, wow, that looks like really cool. And I watched that and I saw the studio and the lights and production. I was like, man, that's really cool. But then I listened to their cast and, you know, I was kind of, I was a 
maybe a little uh, too straightforward, outspoken little kid. But I was like, hey, man, these guys are not even good. Like, they, they don't know the game. They don't know what they're talking about. Because they were, like, clearly variety game casters that ESL just used for whatever was available. And maybe they were good casters, but not good Warcraft casters. So then I walked to Toby back then from ESL, who I think still works for ESL. And I was like, hey, Toby, why don't you let me do this? I think I'll do a really good job. He's like, he's like you want to cast? I was like, yeah, sounds awesome. So they're like, all right, tomorrow you can start. I was like, cool. So I just came there as a fan. And then suddenly the second day I was going to cast the games. So I just sat down there by myself and I just casted pretty much the, the majority of the games of the WC3L finals. And I had a great time doing it. I thought it was really fun. You know, I could just talk about all the things I saw. And then people on the internet were like, wow, that was so awesome. It's really cool to listen to Rotterdam. He knows so much about the game. Because back then it was really hard to get information about Warcraft as well, especially from like a reliable source because nobody was uploading YouTube videos. There weren't mm -hmm. any like professional dedicated casters. So this was truly something new for Warcraft fans. And then ESL was obviously reading the comments on their website and they're like, hey, you know, they like this Rotterdam guy. So then whenever they had something, an IEM broadcast that they would do from the studio in Germany, they just kind of kept asking me. And then eventually more tournaments started to have, uh, you know, actual cast for their tournament coverage. And often when they had one, they would just ask me. So that's kind of how all of that got started. So for about five years, you were a go-to Warcraft caster? Yeah, yeah, I would say three or four, pretty okay. much. Uh, but also, once again, that was not frequent. It's not like I was casting every weekend or something. It was honestly like once every two, once every three months, there was an opportunity. In the summer of 2009, I went to South Korea because they did the GOM TV World Invitational. And they were doing it live from a st uh, studio in Korea. And they actually only wanted Todd to cast it because he was living in Korea back then. First to practice and then just because he enjoyed living there. And then Todd was like, hey, we should get this Red them guy. We can do it together. But there was no budget for that. But then Todd being a real bro was like, hey, man, I'll give you half of my salary and you can sleep in my uh, living room. It's going to be fine. Well, me and Todd sleeping on one mattress in an apartment of like five square meters was not totally fine <laughs> after six weeks. We're great friends, but that was kind of pushing it. Uh, but yeah, I casted that as well. And I think at that point, it was really kind of like I was the go-to Warcraft caster for whatever else was, uh, was left at that point. Okay, so, well, in 2009, there would have been already some... I don't know, when was the beta of StarCraft 2? Obviously, it was uh, announced by 2010, then. I think 2010. Okay, yeah, because yeah, it did release late 2010 as well. All right, mm -hmm. did you give any thought to actually, like, sticking around in Korea and doing StarCraft 2? Oh, just no, all no, about no, Warcraft? no, no. No, like, that wasn't a thing. It was also, like, I met Tasteless and Artosis, actually, that summer in Korea. But, like, right now, like I said, that people always think, like, wow, casting is awesome and everybody wants to be a caster. That just wasn't a thing back then, you know? Like, they just looked like two guys from America that lived in Korea but were not exactly sure what they were doing or something. Like, it didn't seem like, wow, they've really got it all in order. Like, and that's the place you want to go. It just, it didn't cross my mind because it wasn't really an option at first. Like, that just mm -hmm. didn't seem uh, realistic to even think that you can just live off talking about a video game. Did you think about going pro? In StarCraft 2 at that point. Oh, though. yeah, absolutely. In the beginning, because mm -hmm. I was actually, at the end of WarCraft, I was playing Han a lot, like Heroes of New Earth, oh, yeah. for like seven months. And I was actually on Team Fnatic for a little bit. And Fnatic later became the best team when I was on them. Uh, they weren't that good yet. And I, I was really thinking like, man, I, I, I think I can be good in this game. But that was also like, you know, I was getting a little bit older already, not too much older. But it was kind of the age where my dad would start whining that I need to start doing something with my life, you know, instead of just playing games all the time. 
Then StarCraft 2 came out and I was like, I think this is going to be big. So then obviously my first idea was like, I was good in Warcraft. I'm going to be great in StarCraft 2 as well. And that was kind of just the plan for the first two or three months of the game. Yeah. So you did Home Story Cup very early on. When was your next big event that they invited you to? Uh, so there was a little tournament in England called Infinity, I think, Insomnia, whatever it was. And I got an email, I think it was from Apollo actually, because I knew Apollo as well from, because uh, we casted World Cyber Games when I did Warcraft and he did Brood War. And he's like, hey man, they want, uh, they want to do this event. You want to do this together with me. Obviously you cannot get paid, you know, because there's no budget for that, but they'll pay your flight to England. And I was like, yeah, free trip to England, let's go. So I casted that tournament as well. And then there was another Warcraft tournament in China. They asked me if I wanted to cast that. It was like W something something ESG or something. I have no idea what it was anymore. WEM. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that too. And they're like, we have no budget, but we'll bring you to China. And I was like, awesome, free trip to China. You know, no pay again. But I was like, whatever. But then after I casted Home Story Cup uh, in Germany, Dennis is like, hey, man, you like doing this? I was like, yeah, it was really fun. He's like, I think that ESL is going to hire someone full time. I was like... You mean like a salary? He's like, yeah, like you actually have to move to Germany and work for ESL. Would you want to do that? I was like, do you really think they'll do that? Like, how much would they pay me? He's like, well, he's like, not that much, but you would get a salary. I was like, a full-time salary, like a grown man's salary. He's like, yeah. I was like, all right. So I sent an email to Toby. I was like, hey, Toby, you know, I always enjoyed casting Warcraft 3. And Dennis told me you guys are looking for an English caster. And I mean, I would just like to say that I'm available. Like, if you guys want to hire me, I would love to do that. And he's like, hey, Kev, actually, we already uh, have been talking to someone, but obviously we've always enjoyed working with you. And you think we think you did a great job. We'll get back to you. And then right when I landed from my free trip to China and I was at the Amsterdam airport, I got a call from Toby. And he's like, hey, Kev, how are you doing back in the country? I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, we've had some meetings and uh, we decided that we'll hire you. Uh, when, do you. when can you start? I was like, oh, my God, awesome. I was like, well, uh, whenever. He's like, and I think this was like late August. He's like, what about the 1st of September? And I was like, sure. I mean, I have no place to live in Germany and stuff, but I guess I'll figure that out. So that's just how I got hired for my first full-time wow. ESL gig. And then obviously once you're full-time ESL, you'll do all the Intel Extreme Masters tournaments. We did all the uh, Go for StarCraft 2s from the studio, the Intel Extreme Master Qualifier events from the studio. So I think mm -hmm. at that point, I was really already a StarCraft 2 caster. Okay. Actually, side question here. How long have you been fluent in English? Uh, I don't know. I think it mostly came when I started playing a lot of Warcraft 3. Because uh, mm -hmm. we used to always hang out on IRC. That was like the, you know, kind of like the Discord of 2004, 2005. And we had the channel with all the WC3L players. So that was the big boy channel. You know, if you can get in there, those were all the elitists. Uh, but whenever I would say something in that channel, and I would obviously say a lot of wrong things or would write uh, words the wrong way, people would make fun of you all the time. They'd pick on you and be like, ha ha, dumbass, you know. So I was like, man, this sucks. So whenever I made a mistake, I tried to make sure that I wouldn't make that mistake again. So I think that's just, it kind of just came through Warcraft. Brutal. Brutal way Yeah, brutal, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I'm, just, I'm just asking because it sounds like you very you swiftly moved into the role of English caster. And obviously I don't know if there was many Dutch casting going yeah, on no, back I, then. Uh, I mean, I almost never spoke about Warcraft in Dutch anyway. Even when I was talking mm -hmm. with Grubby, half of the time we would speak English with each other anyway, because all the terms are in English as well. So even if we would talk about a game in Dutch, Oh my goodness, I just had an alert in my OBS. Somebody just subbed to my channel, Jess. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, we're just going to ignore that. Um, 
so even when we talk about games, like half of the lingo we use is English anyway. So that is, you know, it, it kind of mm-hmm. becomes pretty natural at one point. Yeah. And that development of the transition, rather, of going from Warcraft to Starcraft casting, was it jarring in any way? You said you didn't know much about Starcraft, but it, anything yeah. else? Mostly just in the beginning, because in Warcraft 3, I was full of confidence that when I sat down, I knew that whatever I was going to say was correct. And nobody could question my knowledge because I'm really good at this game. And, you know, my attitude was, if you think you know it better, let's play 1v1. I know it's really silly and (laughs) uh, childish and immature, but that was kind of the attitude I had. Now, when I was casting StarCraft 2, I was getting quite good in the beginning, uh, very quickly. Even though when I started, I was in Copper League, like a league below bronze. That was kind of a a dent to my ego because I thought I was good at strategy games. But Mm -hmm. it didn't take me long. Like within a month and a half, I was Diamond, which was the highest uh, league you could have. And even in the tournaments, I would already make like rank or round four or round five. So I had a little bit of confidence, but that was definitely the biggest change. Because in Warcraft 3, I was convinced that I knew things better than everybody else. And in Starcraft 2, it was more like, I'm going to do a good job and I hope that people like me and I hope I don't make a lot of mistakes. That was kind of, you know, the mindset that I had going into my initial cast. Yeah. Okay. Do you still have a bit of that that mindset, though? Like, is is knowledge number one priority for you when you do casting? Uh, it was for the longest time because I always thought that was the only thing that mattered. Uh, but over the years, I have definitely changed that opinion a little bit. I do still think it's very important and I put a lot of value, obviously, into knowing that what I'm saying is not completely wrong or that it's at least close to the truth. But there is so much more that comes to making a good broadcast, like just spitting out facts and being knowledgeable. That's not going to cut it forever because people will get very bored. And also, that's very easy like in Warcraft 3, I would cast one tournament every two months, right? So you could mm-hmm. explain everything. You, you When they throw down their, their barracks and, you know, how many workers they make and everything would feel like new, cool information. In StarCraft 2, we have so much more stuff that I could never cast in the same way because I would become incredibly repetitive. Like I would literally have the same cast over and over and over again. So I, I definitely don't think of it in that way anymore that that is the only thing that matters. I do still think it's very important but there's definitely a lot more that comes to making a good show. That's an interesting point about how many uh, casts there are in StarCraft 2. I always felt like there was a bit of that going on when compared to Brood War casting. I felt with Brood War, you know, also because they didn't uh, show the production, that there was just so many things that you could sound really smart on. <laughs> yeah. And very, very interesting because it'd be like the unique time that you heard it, you know, once every every month or whatever. But yeah, StarCraft 2 is so... I mean, even still oversaturated. I mean, compared mm-hmm. to CSGO when it's not it's not even comparable, but no, it's it still really is. Do you ever get uh, tired out? I mean, you're Rotterdam, you literally do every single event <laughs> if you're if you're allowed to. So do you ever get tired out? Do you ever like have to rework your brain and be like, this is exciting again? Uh, not too much because I kind of like in the old days it was all about I'm going to throw as much information as possible at people every game and I'm going to try to sound smart and now I always see it kind of as a story as an adventure you know you start off in a big round of 128 and you focus on different parts of the tournament in different parts of the broadcast so I like talking a lot about the up-and-coming players or players that are kind of good but not super good in the beginning because I don't get to talk about them very often. So then you focus a lot on those guys in the earlier rounds. Uh, You also compliment them 
on things that you wouldn't compliment a pro on, you know, like if Clem has really smooth macro, nobody really cares because that's what we expect. But, you know, if like, let's say Zipper the Fly does, it was like, man, Zipper is playing well here. So I can get excited over different things in different phases of the tournament. And that makes it a little more uh, easy, I think, to, yeah, no, I, I don't really get bored of it or I don't feel like I'm repeating myself. I just always see it as a brand new adventure and nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the best way to do it. You've managed to stay the premier caster in StarCraft II for 10, 10 years now, <laughs> the entirety of it. So you, uh, you're particularly good at the desk segments is what I always thought. There's a reason that you're always on the, the desk at the start and uh, if you can, I guess at the end of the tournaments because you're always there building the story. Did you just naturally figure that out or was there any talk with any of the other casters back in the NASL days, something like that, where you were like, yeah, the story is the most important? Yeah, I, in the NSL days, we definitely did focus a lot on that. And we actually had like a dedicated producer who would really hammer that stuff in. But I, I think most of that honestly just comes that uh, I'm kind of like, I'm very in touch with the community, right? My idea has always been that I want to be someone that's not standing above the community or thinks that I'm so cool. But, you know, I'm like the big guy who, who just looks down and every now and then I open my word. I want to be in the middle of everything because I think if you're in the middle of everything, then you hear all the different storylines and that gives me a lot to talk about. So that's why I like playing against the guys that are good, but maybe not the top players yet, because that gives me more stuff to talk about in the desk. So I kind of just see it as like my entire StarCraft journey, it all goes together eventually. It's just, yeah, it's kind of hard to explain, but I think it just becomes, it comes kind of natural. You know, the more you're in touch with those guys and I don't know, the more you do it as well, right? Like obviously the first few times, I'm sure I wasn't good at the desk, but over time, you also like, you look at this like, hey, I really like how I did that segment or like, okay, I sounded really dumb there. Where was I even going? So it's just also experience, I think. Of which you have copious amounts. Like you were doing <laughs> a lot of the leagues in the early stages. I think I first met you back in 2011 um, as a fan. So didn't really count. But at New York, the first IAM New York, mm -hmm. which would have been one of your first events, which is why I was probing around for your your first big offline cast. I didn't realize... I don't know. At the time, it felt like it had been ages since StarCraft II had come out, but now it seems like, you know, yeah. it's only a year, <laughs> not that long. But I remember just, you know, always being impressed with your your casting. But at the time, you were also casting not just a lot of events. You are also casting with a lot of different co-casters. Can you actually, I don't know if this is a dangerous question to ask, but can you comment on how... I guess the casters you've worked with have grown throughout the years. Like, did, do you really miss some of those casters from the early days or how many guys you were casting with compared to now? Um, I definitely loved having one guy as your regular main co-caster, right? Because then you do build up a special kind of chemistry. There is this ongoing humor, you know, that you can just kind of keep refreshing over and over again. And I think I got very lucky that for the first year, other than the first initial events that I did alone, basically I always had Mr. Bitter on my side and Mr. Bitter is just a really freaking smart guy. Uh, we were great friends in real life as well. So that just really helps. Uh, I, I think he helped me as much as maybe I helped him. I don't know, but he always said it was easy to work with me, but I felt the exact same way that it was very easy to work with him. I let him also do the majority of the things that I didn't feel very good in, like when it comes to opening a show or, you know, back then we didn't have a dedicated stage host. And, you know, basically mm -hmm. when I got hired to do an event, I had to do the pre-game interviews, the post-game interviews, the winner's ceremony. It was really awkward because I'm like, 
I like talking about the game, but suddenly I'm standing on the stage with a microphone. It's like, here it is, guys. Give it up for Dumaga. And I was like, I don't know if this is me. Like, that didn't really feel like me. But uh, I just think that those guys helped me a lot. Obviously, after Bitter kind of quit or retired and started focusing on different things in his life, then I started casting with Nathanius an incredible amount. And kind of the same thing. I'm really good friends with Nate. Uh, Nate is a very hardworking guy as well. So, you know, it just... It flowed well, and I don't know. To me, that was always just... Maybe I got lucky that those guys were just very good, but it felt very easy to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were yeah. part of the scene when it felt like there were a lot more duo casters. Yeah. Guys that would just... They would almost always be on. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more leagues, I think, that were constant as well, as opposed to three-day tournaments that were happening every so often. Yeah. We've talked a bit about this in previous podcasts, but you're the most experienced with that in StarCraft too. Do you wish that we had more opportunities to just have duos, like we could go to an event and then just be like, I am casting with, with Maynard the entire time? Do you wish that would happen or are you okay with how it is now? I'm actually okay with how it is right now. Like, uh, I understand that people are attached to the tasteosis and then in the old days it was like bitter damn and then there were a few more, but I honestly, uh, I think that becomes a little bit boring at one point and... Uh, I don't know. I actually really enjoy casting with different people. And I think the core set of casters that we have right now, I think we're all very easy to work with. I think it pretty much always goes well. And sure, like, for instance, I love casting with a Todd at Homestory Cup. But if I would have to cast like a semi-finals of a WCS event with Todd, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe we're actually not the best here. Because then Todd wants me to do the things that I actually normally would prefer my co-caster to do. Uh, so I do think there is still value in having like certain duos. But I think that only goes for the deeper runs of the event or when you have like a live audience, you know, because that obviously makes for very different casting than when you just sit in a studio. But I'm actually completely okay with how it is right now. I find it fun and keeps it exciting. Yeah, keeps it interesting. On that, that subject, though, like, so you, you say things you're not comfortable with. Do you mean like uh, hyping up the crowd as a caster and doing the the hype stuff you're basically talking about Maynard <laughs> yeah no well I feel like uh there were times I for some reason I always have this MLG in mind I did an MLG and I'm in 2014 where I felt like we had a really good crowd but for some reason it was like kind of nobody was really interacting with the crowd and people were just kind of talking about Starcraft like they were still explaining and teaching Starcraft and like I think if you look at casting I felt like 2010 2011 casting was all about the casters explaining what is good and what is bad to the audience and telling them what they should be doing because the people that were watching wanted to learn and wanted to get better. And I felt like that was kind of the whole idea behind casting at first. And over time, it became more like, okay, those people, they don't actually want to be pro gamers. The people that are watching right now, they just want to have a good time. They want to be, obviously, uh, they want to feel involved and they want to get excited. But they're not sitting here just because they want to be the next Maru or they want to be the next MVP. So, um there was this one event in 2014 where I felt like, man, I need to get this crowd a bit going. I was like, NI, how are you guys feeling it? And it was really weird for me because it was so out of my comfort zone. And I got such a good response from the crowd a couple of times. They're like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I was loving it. I was like, this is so not my skill set, but I'm loving this as well. But to go back to where we are right now, like I definitely do think if you're sitting in like a big hall, like you've seen the Spodak Arena, for instance, in Katowice, like, yeah, I definitely would prefer it if Maynard is like, God, the weeks, are you ready? You know, like, I, I will play it off and I will play with it in my way, but I'll let Maynard do the direct speaking to the audience. Because, like, 
I, I find it really awkward if I would say something and then like there's no response or <laughs> or I say something and people are like, what did he say? And I'm like, oh, no, you know, this is my worst <laughs> nightmare. So I do kind of try to stay away from that. Yeah, the the crickets yeah. and the, like the pity claps. Pity, yep. yeah, so go on, yeah. Oh, I'm terrified of that as well. And the Maynard just seems to, maybe because he has so much experience in front of a crowd, to be able to assume <laughs> that. And it, it's confidence as well, right? What we were talking about before, like Maynard knows, he, he doesn't really speak about that, but he knows that he's really good at that stuff. And that's why he can sit down there as well. And he's like, all right, I'm going to be awesome. You can see that. If you look at Maynard, you see that he's ready to do his thing. And I think that really just comes out of confidence. True. Yeah, I've that's been something I've been like focusing in on, uh, honing in on, is just being like really confident, so you can be <laughs> the best version of whatever you're bringing to the table. Um, but you brought up like a really interesting point about the transition of of StarCraft fans or or esports fans, I guess, because you know that weird thing that happens is that when we talk about StarCraft Two, we're talking about kind of the birth of of nowadays esports, anyways, into League of Legends and CS:GO and Dota and all that. But we were, you know, you guys were kind of there first. Do you think that the transition from the hardcore viewer was something that just had to do with the mass size of audience that came in thanks to StarCraft 2? Or was it, do you think they, they that got tired? You know, it was actually a change of everyone's interests or was it a population thing? I think it's a little bit of everything, but I generally do think that since everything was new and Twitch was new, like even 2010, right? Twitch was new and esports was already a thing. Esports has been a thing for a long time, but it definitely was suddenly blowing up. You know, everyone was just coming in from every angle. People were making good money for the first time, other than like the top guys in South Korea. So it became a real thing. And I honestly think that at first, a lot of people looked at these events and they're like, I want to be a pro gamer because it was kind of a new thing. Mm. And I think that a lot of people just had the ideas like, okay, I'm going to take some notes and I'm going to join them because I can do this too. You know, it really felt like this was a new opportunity and everybody's chasing the pot of gold. So everybody wanted to be, I think, part of it one way or the other. They just didn't really know yet how they wanted to be a part of it. But at first, the easiest thing seemed to be become a pro gamer because once you're a pro gamer, you can go to all the events, you get a salary. So I don't know. I just think at first everyone had that dream. And then obviously over time you realize that becoming a pro gamer is really freaking difficult. And that's when people started to be like, well, I still like this game. I'll still watch it. But then obviously you don't need somebody to explain over and over and over again why the 12 gas is better than the 11 gas. Because that just becomes boring, right? Like if you watch American football, they don't explain the first down. Uh, it's like you need to get 10 yards, you know, to get a new automatic first down. Like if you would do that every single NFL game, the, the people would go insane. So at one point, I just think it all kind of changed because the ambitions of the audience changed as well. It's a good comparison and a good point. Like when you speak of it, it makes sense because now I'm thinking back to when I was part of the the fandom, I guess, back then. Yeah, I also like was like, you know, being a pro gamer would be the coolest, not necessarily being a caster, but a pro gamer. Playham dailies were actually like stacked. Like lots of people would join in from all different leagues, I guess, with aspirations like that. Yeah. But I never would have considered that angle <laughs> unless you had, you had said it. So that's really interesting. And then, of course, more people did come in. And I think you viewed it more and more as the years went by as just getting into something like football or, or soccer or what have you. So, yeah, that's really interesting. But you were able to adapt with the audience, it feels like. Do you have, I don't know if I'm asking for you to explain your you know natural talent here, but 
do you do you do you contribute your cluing in to the audience as just always mingling with the audience? Your your Twitch stream maybe being so popular, you're always talking with people who have all these different opinions because you always seem to be just clued in naturally when other people are are you know rubbing their chin and being like, okay, what do I need to do here? I think it's a little bit of that. Like I don't really participate too much in forum discussions, but I do read a lot of them. And I don't get all my feedback out of that or something. But I do think at one point, I've probably read just a lot of comments of people saying like, hey, I'm getting really tired of Caster X saying this and this and this over and over again. And maybe I just like, you know, in the old days, I casted almost every single day, kind of like what Wadi is doing right now. But we were doing it in a studio environment. And I think I, I was always like my own worst critic, right? Like either I think I did good or I did mediocre or like today was a bad day. Like, I don't know what's wrong. And I just think like, man, how can I make sure that this stays fun? You know, like if I, I always just thought like if I was watching this broadcast instead of like, I'm actually the one doing the broadcast. If I was watching this, would I have had a good time? And as long as the answer is yes, I wasn't changing that much. But I think at one point, a couple of times I was like, I feel like this is becoming boring. Like how much longer can I really do it on this way and make sure that the people still enjoy it. So I think that kind of changed my casting over time. And I think right now we have all reached like a very cool phase of StarCraft 2 where people who tune in, they know what to expect. You know, we have some jokes on the desk with each other. The casters all tease each other a little bit. We all have our favorite little players that we like to hype up. I really like the dynamic that's going on right now, rather than all of us sitting there ready to show that we know more than the other guy that's going to cast next. Because I was like, man, this is so lame. It's like, yeah, we can all listen to what one person said about the game and then repeat that in our cast and be like really smart. But I was like, that's just not the way to do it. We can do better. And I think that's just kind of how that took place for me. Do you think back then it also had something to do with a little bit of ego, that that transition from everyone to be a pro to everyone wanting to be a caster? Because it always felt like, it still feels like, the analysts get the biggest interest of, of hardcore audiences at the yeah. very least, right? So do you think it had to do with that, that there were so many, I hesitate to use the word tryhards, but people who were just like, nope, facts, facts, facts. Yeah, no, that's because in the beginning, like I said, I feel like everybody wanted to be part of esports, but we just didn't really know yet how we wanted to be part of it, because that was also the most common question. How do you get into esports? And eventually people are like, wait a minute, if like eight or nine casters are going to events... I think I should become a caster too, you know? And like suddenly it became a little easier because of programs like OBS. So everybody could start recording. Everybody could start uploading mm -hmm. on YouTube. Everyone got better computers. So I, I do think at one point it's like, well, the way I'm going to make it is that I'm just going to be more knowledgeable than the other casters. And I'm going to show the world that I, I know that little bit more because I saw how he casted that fight and he thought those Hydras were going to win it. And I'm going to explain why in my next guess, why that could never work. So I, I think that was definitely an ego thing. And that was also people's way of getting like a leg up on the competition, I, th I think at least. Mm -hmm. Were you ever threatened by... Well, threatened might, might be the right word... Did you ever think that was the correct way to do it? Did you ever, you know, watch someone come into the casting scene and been like, oh, shit, this guy really knows his stuff? Uh, not, not too much, but I was maybe a little bit worried at one point when I left ESL and I did, I went to NASL to work in Rancho Cucamonga, California. We did the NASL league and that was really cool. But then suddenly I wasn't invited anymore for all the events I was invited to before, like the Intel Extreme Masters events. I did six or seven of them in a row and I was like, ah, oh, these are really awesome. 
And I thought that when I was going to America, because I left on really good terms with ESL, you know, we were very open about the negotiations. And I was like, man, this is kind of like a dream for me to go to America. And they understood it. They were sad because they wanted to keep me in Germany. But they also understood that this was a really cool opportunity for me. And there was like, no worries, you know, we'll still hire you for the IM events. And that was their plan as well. But then suddenly my new boss was being really weird about it. And it's like, if they want to get Mr. Bitter and Rotterdam from us, well, then we need some serious conversations. And I I was really weirded out by that. I was like, I, first of all, I don't like this at all, you know, because I never liked the idea of someone representing me in those kind of talks. And second of all, then that just didn't happen at all because yes, our league was indeed going on, but I thought that we could maybe reschedule whenever we had a big IM event. But for NASL, it was just about NASL. And that's when I got a little bit scared at one point when I missed like four or five of the events that I feel I would have normally done. And then mm. to make things even worse, NESL started going bankrupt uh, because of really bad management. They started getting into World of Tanks. They wanted me to get into World of Tanks. And I was like, record scratch. Like, how did I get there? I have to talk about World of Tanks. Like, I've been doing RTS for the last eight years of my life. What is happening? You know, so that's the only time in my life I was actually getting a leg uh, legit a little bit concerned but right after NASL actually officially went bankrupt, already people from Blizzard back then, uh, that unfortunately they don't work at Blizzard anymore, but you know they were really on top of the StarCraft scene and they reached out to me and they said like, we don't want you to worry about anything, you know, like we're gonna figure this out, we've got this new thing coming up, it's called the WCS, cause that started in 2013, and uh, we definitely want you to be part of this, so uh, please don't worry. And I was like, okay, I was like, all right, I guess everything is gonna be okay. That is really weird. But I guess that's something that also we we don't really necessarily have to worry about. Uh, we being current StarCraft two casters is um, <laughs> organizations marking their territory, <laughs> being the agents that we never asked them to be type thing, because also not many of us even have le legitimate agents. So that's that's really interesting. Did you ever think about, though, like, I mean, obviously you're working a lot with Nate and Nate mm. really pushed trying to do stuff other than StarCraft, which he was pretty successful at. I know he actually is part of an agency. Did you ever think about going the same path? Were you worried about StarCraft in general or just thought that having someone negotiating for you would be a good idea? Like, I think we all have some worries from time to time, right? Especially when the announcements for, for instance, the ESL Pro Tour weren't made yet. I have to admit that that was the only time in my life I was truly worried about StarCraft. I was like, man, good people after good people are, or like, you know, multiple good people from are leaving Blizzard. I was like, where is this going? You know, and I, at one point I was like, we don't hear anything. And then the last few people I still had a lot of faith in at Blizzard. They also decided to leave. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I was like, this this could actually be it. And then suddenly, you know, I got the call from Sean. I was like, whoa, you know, this is going to be amazing. Three more years, baby, let's go. Um, but I, I don't know. I never really had the desire to work on games. And this goes back to what I was talking about, or other games, I mean, uh, in the beginning of the broadcast. The only reason I ever wanted to cast was because I saw other people cast a game that I really cared about. And I felt they didn't care about it in the same way as I cared about it. Warcraft 3, that is, you know. When I said they weren't good, I mostly meant that they just didn't know Warcraft and they didn't care about it. So in StarCraft 2, it was the same way for me uh, later on that I was like, I never want to be those guys that I saw back then. Like, I always want to be seen as someone that does care about the game, does care about the community and respects his audience. So that's why I have no desire at all to work on like random games as a one day off event after I played a game for like 10 hours. Because where am I going to get that original confidence from that I had in Warcraft 3 where I sat down and I'm like, I know more about this game than the people that are watching. 
if I do other games, I won't have that. And then mm -hmm. I also never believe that I will actually do a, a good job because I'm obviously not the most fluent speaker out there. I'm not the most articulate. I am definitely not the funniest. But, you know, a lot of other things in StarCraft 2 that I have will make me altogether, I think, a pretty good commentator. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been doing it for so long. But in other games, I wouldn't have that. And I, I, I would feel very out of place. So it's just not an ambition of me. I kind of like to focus on one thing and then really be involved in it and, you know, enjoy it with that community. I just mm -hmm. have no desire to be part of like five communities. That's fair. I mean, do you ever think of just getting an agent just so they negotiate StarCraft stuff? So actually right now, this is not something that a lot of people know because not being like super open about it, but I'm actually employed by Take TV. Technically, I am a full-time employer of Take TV, but the way it works is that I kind of just work for myself for Take TV and then they handle all the finances. And that was indeed like when we uh, came to this agreement in the beginning of 2019, I think. Um, basically, they said like, you know, whenever there's contract negotiations, you know, you can just forward the email and then we'll do it. And that has actually never really happened with anything that I've ever been invited for. I just kind of did it myself because I really don't like the idea of like an organization in StarCraft 2 trying to do something and then they want to hire me and then my agent is like, $10,000 for two days. And I'm like, what? Like, no, like I actually would have liked to do that, right? So I, I feel so much more comfortable to actually be in charge of that stuff myself and come to, you know, like just very fair rates. Like I definitely don't want to be the guy who's like undercutting all their talents. Like I, I feel like I've never done that. And that's obviously mm -hmm. not the goal. But I also understand that, for instance, when I get invited by, you know, somebody, for instance, we went to Australia together, right? Like that was clearly a new ambitious project, but that's not the same as when you work with Intel for the Intel Extreme Masters, right? So then I kind of, I don't like the idea of my agent then asking for the exact same rates as I would do for this big event in Poland. Like that's just not fair to me. That's not really human. So I've always tried to, you know, at least see it from both sides. What am I worth? What is, you know, realistic here? And I kind of like doing that stuff myself. I don't really like the idea of someone in a suit like deciding what I'm worth for like two or three days. Yeah, I get that. Exactly. I actually don't even know how it, how it works, how much communication you have with your agent. But I guess I the appeal of an agent has always been like, if you didn't have confidence in selling yourself, you know, like th then they would do it for you. But it seems like you're very comfortable with everyone that you speak to. You don't think you're ever the guy who's punching up or, um, you know, forced to uh overcompensate for the qualities that you have like you you just you just are very honest you're like this is what i've been doing and this is what i deserve and and let's yeah. let's go right Which, and uh, on top of that i also do think i have to add that i do have the luxury where i actually never reach out to tournament organizers ever of like hey i want to do this like they have always reached out to me just because i've been around for so long and pretty much everyone that does something in starcraft at this point has already done something with me in the past so you know, they will always send me an email and if whether it works out or not, like that's fine. We can come to an agreement with that. But uh, I don't really need to push myself because I, yeah, I am fortunate that they are reaching out to me anyway. So I don't need someone going around and offering me because, yeah, at least they'll, they'll talk to me anyway. Yeah, definitely a, a, a benefit. <laughs> You're very comfortable yeah. with everyone that's that's been around. And even in esports, you have people that are like, I feel like I have people that I was talking to back in 2012 and then they've made it full circle, like through, you know, different organizations. They come back talking to me about StarCraft. I'm like, oh, hey, hey again. Yeah, totally comfortable yeah. with you. Seems to be happening a decent amount. 
But anyways, has that ever, I mean, when you do, okay, agree to go to an event, which is like mm-hmm. most of them, do you have any way of preparing? Like when they contact you, do you always ask for who are the other co-casters? How long do you, are the days going to be or anything like that? Uh, I do ask sometimes who the other co-casters are. Uh, and that's mostly when I try to push someone that I feel like really deserves a shot, you know, and like, hey, you know, who else is coming? And if they then say like, oh, we haven't decided yet, then I like to throw in a name or two there, you know, I was like, hey, look at Wadi. I was like, I work really well with Wadi. I've mentioned you as well in the past when I just feel like, because I always just want to work with people who care. Like as long as I work with people who care, I know I'm going to have a great time. And that is the only time that I've ever really been concerned with like who I'm working with. Other than that, that doesn't interest me too much. Um, when it comes to preparing for events, I feel like it's been going like, uh, there's been some different ways of prepping for events over the years. There was a time where I put a lot of effort into going over previous results, watching games of players. Then at one point I started to actually be like a little more comfortable and I just like looked at the player list and then I made sure that I knew the most important facts. Like, are we giving away WCS points or EPT points? What's the prize money? And I just kind of took it from there and knowing the tournament format. But then I also realized that there were like one or two events where I was like, man, I feel like I actually haven't seen games of this dude in forever. Like, you know, I actually need to step it up a little bit in that department because I do play the game. Like, I always play StarCraft. There's never a time where I just go like a month or even a week without playing. Like, that just doesn't happen. So I feel like it's never that I lack game knowledge because I play at a pretty good level. But then besides that, I watch all the other like pro gamers or watch other online tournaments. So I always feel like I'm very in touch with the game. So I don't suddenly need to prep for the game because I feel like I already know the game. But there are definitely some moments where I'm like, you know what? I should actually look at like a couple best of fives or a couple best of threes of this dude. Mostly a Terran or a Zerg, right? Because I always know the Protoss is a little bit better. And then I do think like, okay, if I know that let's say Dream is playing the next event I'm casting, I know there's a lot of hype around Dream. I actually need to know better why there is a lot of hype around Dream. So a little bit of prep like that. But other than that, it's mostly just like, I'm always ready. That's how I see it. I'm the the fighter who's always in training scam, Jess. I'm always ready. That's what I am. I mean, I'm not going to disagree. It does seem like you're mm-hmm. always ready. I mean, you're always tweeting about events that are going on and lurking in people's chats when they're, they're casting some smaller online tournaments. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I agree with you. Do you think it's really important, actually, that's... Uh, the 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 S tier the um oh god getting the tears again the people who do a lot of the offline events put it that way do you think it's really important that they watch like basically all the tournaments that they've sat through and watched Hadavite and that they sat through and watched uh, all the GSLs you know every night or watching the vods of course do you think it's really important or is that just something that they should be supplementing when they think they don't have a weak they think they have a weakness. I think it is somewhat important, but when you say like all the events, like I think that's a little bit hard. I don't think we can really expect from each other that we watch everything, right? Because imagine if you have to watch every single thing that Wadi does at the moment with the top (laughs) European players, then we all spend 10 hours a day watching Wadi. That's not possible. That's not how we can make a living. And that's just not how this world functions. But I do absolutely agree that, you know, if we get invited to cast uh, IEM Katowice, then I'd be very upset if we're working with people who indeed haven't seen 
uh, players play in months, you know, like when they have a sick run in the qualifier where they win eight or nine best of threes in a row and you have no idea how they even got there or like, I don't know if this guy is good or not. Like, I, I would hate that. Like, I I obviously do think it's important that you're aware of like how strong the players are and you're aware of what has been happening in StarCraft recently. Uh, you don't need to watch every game, every best of three. That's just impossible. But I do think it's important to be obviously in touch with what is happening. Yeah, that makes sense. I know there's been a couple of metas that like just kind of popped up and then it's easy enough to just not know, you know, like, um, I mean, there's a very, I, I think of one very particular example because it affected me. <laughs> the, uh, at Montreal, the first Montreal I did the night before there was a GSL that really was almost technically like impossible for us to watch unless we only got four hours of sleep. <laughs> yeah. And and that literally innovation came out with the uh, the two port banshee I think it is what it was, <laughs> and then flipping um, oh Masa other Maru Masa did it and we were like oh I've never seen this before oh I hated I hated it Twitch chat was going crazy yeah and I was like what do you expect from us exactly like that's not fair like if that would have been all that the Terrans were doing for a month straight and then you show up as a guest you're like wow this is like really cool I've never seen this before then obviously I think Twitch has the right to be somewhat upset be like hey these guys are professionals they're getting paid and you know we all know more than they do like that's not right but obviously if something happens overnight different time zones you cast the next day I, I think that's totally fine and that's just that's just a funny thing that happens but I do agree with you that obviously if something is super standard, right? Let's say like a, a Swarmos build and that has been happening for all in all the online tournaments for a month straight and then they bring it to the big show and then you're like, wow, I've never seen this before. I, I think that's unacceptable actually. Like that really does go too far. You wouldn't see that in real life sports either, right? Like if LeBron has been on this hot streak where he scores 50 points and then suddenly he's like, wow, LeBron is scoring a lot of points today. I didn't expect that. Like that would be really stupid. A basketball commentator would get tried for that. So I think it is fair that esports fans also expect their commentators to be at least pretty up to date. Like you don't have to be, you know, aware of everything, but at least be pretty up to date. Yeah, true. But speaking of traditional sports, one of the complications of, of esports, I would say most esports, yeah, is that we do have so many changing metas. Like the actual way the game works changes in a way that I don't think traditional sports happens. Like I know there's been rule changes in mm -hmm. traditional sports and I'm sure there's meta in traditional sports that I'm not keen on, but I'm sure it happens. But as far as I understand it, it's not nearly as quick as uh, you know, a balance update hitting Starcraft or uh, yeah, two port Banshee suddenly coming out and then everyone else mm -hmm. is doing two port Banshee. But you, you play so much Starcraft. It doesn't ever seem to, to grind on you, but to have like ultimate knowledge of, of Starcraft is actually quite difficult to do especially if you're doing any other esports. So has that also, like, I guess, kept you <laughs> focused on always being on, on always doing StarCraft? Yeah, I, I try to keep it healthy, though. Like, I, for, there was a time where I indeed, like, tried to maybe consume everything all the time. And I was like, I want, I want to make sure that I will never look silly. And then at one point, I just came to the conclusion. And honestly, a lot of this came from, like, a lot of the great talks I had with Jeff back in the days where he was just like, why are you worried about these things? Like, stop being a stupid nerd, you know, just go out there and have fun. And, like, like we all know that you know a lot, so don't be fucking dumb. And I was like, ah, oh, he's got a pretty good point over here. So, you know, you just try. I think the most important thing for in general i think the people at home as well is that they see someone who tries 
And sure, we might miss a thing or two. And definitely I am still missing a thing or two. Like you're giving me a lot of compliments, which I think is very sweet, but obviously I'm just a human and I'm going to be wrong too sometimes. And there are going to be some stress where I was like, well, I actually didn't think this was going to be that good. And people are like, wow, Roddy, this happens over and over again. And it may have very well been in those two best of threes that I did not watch, right? That stuff can happen. I just think it's very obvious whether that happens as an incident or if that's, you know, an ongoing thing in every cast you do in every event you show up. Because I, I don't think that kind of stuff is very hard to spot. Yeah. So generally when casting, we're talking about doing, uh, focusing on storylines, focusing on having fun, maybe branching out from StarCraft a little bit and, and having other interests. So we all kind of, we all kind of have our thing. You kind of touched mm -hmm. on like all the StarCraft casters currently have their favorite player or uh, what have you. And then we all kind of have something about us that we always poke fun at like you and football yeah <laughs> exactly european football but yeah branching out from starcraft has actually been also a common topic in this podcast like having other interests keeps you as a person interesting and specifically me and fear dragon we've talked a lot about how i'm going to compliment you again um but like you um and jeff and then tasteless and artosis you guys always seem to have just like larger than life personalities do you think that and by that and if you don't understand i mean like it just feels like you always you like you could talk to anyone in the room anyone in the room could talk to you you're never you never seem off right um those types of things and you know stop me if you disagree and you're like i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> no, no no i'm listening okay but uh do you contribute having that as as being just a pure veteran of StarCraft II, do you contribute it to the people that you've been able to work with, you know, that you've actually been able to discuss this stuff with, and just that's why you are the Roddy here today in, in 2020? Yeah, no, there's, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff, or like, why am I the way that I am? I, I don't really know, but I definitely do think, like, when you spend time around people like Jeff over the years, you know, like, his humor will always stay with me. And there's so many scenarios where I'm like, all right, like, I've seen Jeff handle this. I'm going to handle it just like Jeff did, you know, and that kind of stuff. It gives me personal joy. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I feel like if you travel for a long time, you know, the, the Roddy that we are talking about right now, or that's kind of weird how I said that, but basically the Kevin that I am right now, like, if you would have seen me in 2005, I was very different, of course, you know, I was kind of a... Not super shy, but I would only be comfortable with two or three people, you know, because those were my buddies and that's what I'm close with. But then everybody else, that can be kind of weird. But I, I think you've just been around in esports for so long. You've had good moments with almost everyone. You've had so many different kinds of fan interactions. So you have the positive fan, the negative fan, the, the weird fan who doesn't want to go away. You know, you just kind of, <laughs> you learn from every little moment you've had, every interaction you've had. And then over the years, you're all like, oh, I have dealt with this before. I've dealt with that before. And I just find it, yeah, I don't know. I find I'm actually very comfortable at esports events and just whether it's with fans or players or even players from different games, you know, I kind of always know what people like talking about or what people don't like talking about. But then, for instance, when I go to a birthday party here in the Netherlands, it actually, like, then suddenly I'm a little bit awkward. Like, I'm not super awkward or something, but when there is, like, a living room full of 25, 30 people and nobody does esports other than me, so then I can talk about that thing. And then we can only talk about, like, the general life things, but then people are all talking about, like, their office and their bosses... And then, like, I have very little to add when it comes to those kind of conversations because I have no experience with that. And then suddenly they start talking about me. 
But then stuff that I find interesting in sharing, I can already see that it's not that interesting to them because they don't even have any idea what to imagine out of all of it. So then suddenly it can become like, okay, I'm suddenly not that chatty anymore and I'm definitely not the, the life of this party. I will just sit there and I'll talk to one or two people around me and I have a drink and that's it, you know? So it really just comes down to how comfortable you are in certain situations because you've been there so many times, I guess. Yeah. And it's hard to replicate if you don't have, I guess, that much life experience. And that is one of the, I would say, frustrating things about StarCraft for, like, the guys who came up later. And later is a very relative term at this point, because Fear Dragon and I came in in 2017. Morty, it feels I guess, way longer, by the way. 2017. <laughs> I feel like I've known you for so long. That makes no sense. Yeah, well, I guess technically early or late 2016, me and you, because I did Nation Wars. But, but yeah. It does feel like a long time, but relatively, it's a short time compared to the rest of the uh, expected casters at events. You and Todd been there from like the beginning, <laughs> Maynard and Pig, maybe 2012, more like it. Anyways, I was going to say that it, it feels kind of difficult for the guys that came in a little bit later to establish basically a brand, talked about big personalities, but also a, a, a very recognizable brand when there's just, there's a lot fewer events happening mm -hmm. than than there were where you could you could build a brand with a co-caster you know a bitter yeah. or or nate and you and it doesn't happen anymore do you have any suggestions for people who are like yeah you know i think i got good knowledge i think i got good casting but how in the world do i ever you know talk to these guys or, or meet up with these guys or throw my my hat into the ring or just build a brand around being a caster do you have any suggestions uh, I think that's very difficult to answer, especially just because of the things that you mentioned before. The scene has changed a lot and the opportunities that we had back then, those are not around at this point. So it's obviously not fair or not logical to even like really think that much about that stuff because that has gone, right? Like we need to focus with what we, or work with what we have right now. Mm -hmm. I still think that you guys can absolutely just do your thing at the events that you have and the opportunities that you have. But Aside from that, you're going to have to do most of it by yourself from home indeed and stand out on the internet, which is obviously not fair because basically we had the chance to sit in a well-made show production with a lot of help around us. And that allowed us to, you know, maybe grow as commentators and grow as human beings while you guys kind of have to do that by yourself. But I don't really think there is another way to do it at this point, right? Because, you know, those things, they just don't really exist anymore. Uh, there's obviously a reason for the Starcraft fans who are not aware that a lot of those leaks, it was also just in the beginning, like everybody wanted to be the big thing and everybody saw a big opportunity to make a lot of money. But then it turns out that running those kind of things also costs a lot of money and then making that money back was very difficult. And that's why a lot of those leaks are just not around at this point, especially not in a game like Starcraft. Even though we've got a great scene, you know, that's just not profitable to run that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about that stuff. If I were you or I were Ravi or I were a commentator, I would never... I have never looked too much at what other casters were doing either in this scene. I've always just looked at myself and it's the same way that I play StarCraft as when I cast it. It's like I try to make myself proud. And if I feel like, you know, I gave myself a grade at the end of a show in the ESL days, you know, when I was casting the studios, I was like, man, today was good. Like, if I would have given myself a grade like an eight, an eight and a half, you know, on a scale to ten or something... But I think you just have to make yourself proud and look for self-improvement. And then I think everything else will come along the right. But yeah, it's 
I think that's the best thing you can do. Just focus on yourself and try to make yourself happy with what you're doing. Try to make yourself proud and also be critical of yourself, knowing about the things that you can do better. Mm. And how are you critical of yourself? Do you just always reflect on the end of a day or do you actually go back and yeah. watch VODs? I actually don't watch a lot of VODs, which I know is maybe not the correct answer because I feel like a lot of the top casters of other esports they do they even sit like I know that the ESL casters for a while when I left ESL they would have meetings you know where seven casters would look at games being casted and they would give each other feedback and I heard about that I was like it sounds really cool and I wouldn't be against it but that is not really a thing that I've ever done because I actually kind of hate listening to myself because within like a minute I will hear something's like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? But I know those things already. But then when I hear it again, it kind of feels like slap in my face. I'm like, man, I got to do better. And it's important that you don't get a negative view of yourself, right? Because clearly if a lot of people send you kind messages, you're doing something right. So it is important to focus on that. And then at the same time, you want to find that balance between like, where can I be critical of myself without burning myself down? Because if you start thinking negatively about yourself, then I think it will also negatively impact your performance when it comes to casting or just streaming or anything. So I just kind of have a little conversation with myself. It's like, all right, I think that part was good and that part sucked. Like, I got to stop doing that. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, overall, pretty good day. Like I said earlier in the, our little interview, I always ask myself, like, if I was a viewer today, was this fun? And if the answer is yes, awesome, keep it up. If the answer is no, then it's like, okay, what should I have done better? So it's not really like a specific thing. It's more just the overall experience that I focus on. That makes sense. I mean, I also hate watching <laughs> and listening to myself, which I have to do a lot of now. But yeah, I feel like a lot of the StarCraft casters are actually pretty darn good at being our own worst critics anyways. Mm-hmm balancing it out and like we we remember when he did something stupid <laughs> we're yeah. not just going to be like oh that was dumb nah Dick, we're gonna be like yeah you're right thanks for pointing <laughs> it out man thanks so like i yeah uh, i do think it's still worthwhile but uh as i was talking with pig like more in like like let's attack the problem right as opposed to let's attack each other that we could always do more of like uh group think i guess where we just all get together and are like yeah remember that that thing that happened, that's going to be really cool to bring up later that this guy did in that tournament two weeks ago, which I know you do very, again, like just casually. You know, when we go to events, you come down, you grab a beer and you're like, yeah, did you guys see that one tournament? Yeah, Goblin was super cool. Whoever you're talking about. But I think I wish we did that more. Just as a collective and then also, I guess, like tighten up some of the things that we expect from each other during the broadcast. Do you ever... Mm-hmm go into a broadcast the actual cast you know you're like okay you're on innovation versus phlegm i don't know yeah do you do you have any process to going up there and putting on the the headset like are you thinking of what you're going to bring up or are you deciding how you're going to work with your co-caster that you were given it's mostly i i prepare the first two minutes because i hate like if you start off on the wrong foot it always feels like you're trying to catch up let's say like if this is a bar to doing a good job and your intro is bad, so you start here, then I feel like you're always trying to catch up and you're trying to make it right. So I mostly just sit down there and it's like, all right, what is my first sentence going to be, you know? Uh, and I was like, do you open or do I open? And I asked my commentator and they're like, oh, I'll open. And I was like, all right, so they're going to do an intro and then either I say this, if it's like an open question or if it's a closed question, 
I'm going to start off with this. So that's mostly what I prepare. Maybe I'll open an illegal act to see something relevant. If there is nothing that pops into my brain as like, okay, this most of the time there is something I want to talk about. But let's say I suddenly have to cast a series where I was like, I don't have a starting point for this series. Then I'll look something up. Who did they play recently? You know, what was the score? Is it something stand out? Head to head record, previous tournament, just anything that gives me a good start into the best of three and the rest will flow. But I do believe it's important to have a, a strong start. That's interesting. I have such a good way of putting it too, because I think it's what makes throwing so scary, being thrown to and, and throwing out, is that the beginning and the end of the cast are really the ones that like, it's probably not what people remember, but it, it feels like it, you know, like everyone mm -hmm. scrambled back to their chairs to, to, to get ready because the countdown's going, going to zero. And the first thing they hear is me going, Welcome black. I mean, welcome back. Like, <laughs> that's not going to feel very good. Yeah, no, no like, like, I've had a couple of moments where I just stood there and I didn't basically have anything prepared. And then, mm -hmm. let's say someone did an intro, no idea who, and it just came to me. And it's like, what do you think? And I'm sitting there, it's like, yeah, well, what do I think? And I'm like, what am I saying? <laughs> like, what, what, what? Why am I repeating? And then, like, I already get angry at myself. I'm like, holy hell, like, how many times have you done this? This is horrible. So I just always try to avoid having a bad first sentence. And as long as the first sentence is good, the second one can be bad. I don't care about that, but I don't want the first one to be bad. I don't want to be like, uh-uh, and have to come up with something on the fly because then I'm going to start thinking about the fact that I wasn't ready for that and then I'm not focusing on what I actually should be focusing on, which is the actual conversation or the game or where I want to take the next step because, like I said, I feel like I'm just trying to catch up to me not being ready in the first place. That's such a good tip. <laughs> I really like that, actually. Do you ever converse with your co-caster and kind of like go over like, hey, I have this really cool thing I want to bring up? Yeah, if there's something that really stands out, I'll be like, hey, like uh, I had something with Ben. I don't know what it was, but he said someone said something funny at Katowice and I was like, hey, Ben, you should open up with this and then I'll follow up with this. He's like, OK. And then like he did it and then we kind of messed it up. But it was still funny because we were like laughing and giggling like like school kids. So uh, there are some things, but most of the time I'll be like, uh, Hey, you want to open us? Like, okay, I'll talk about this. And they're like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And then from that point, you just kind of go with the flow. But there's often like maybe one or two things. Yeah, I, I can be like, uh, hey, after play intros, I want to talk about like this best of three he played against Rainer the other week because I was really sick. And I think we're going to see that again. And then Co-Caster is always just like, oh yeah, sure, let's do it. So then that's pretty much the only thing, nothing more specific than that. Yeah, makes sense. It can be kind of hard to like, obviously we can't script no, that would feel so. horrible, by the way. Like, I actually get I, I get weirded out when I see, like, at LCS, you know, they're basically, like, hosting of scripts and stuff, and they have everything pretty much written for them. I would be so bad at that, just, like, because I'm very comfortable standing at a desk when people just ask me questions, and I just talk, because I always feel like I talk about something I generally enjoy, and I feel like I'm knowledgeable about, but the only thing I can really do here is I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to try to make it fun. The moment I can like have to stop being myself and I have to start becoming basically an actor. Now I did record like one or two advertisements over the years and I am not a good actor. I know that. <laughs> and if I would have to start reading stuff or ask, like even there were one or two events where basically I had to interview somebody from Blizzard for the war chest. And then you don't get a complete script, but you basically said, ask this question and this specifically, and then ask this one. And I'm like, I'm not good at this guys. Like I, I am good. Like if we could just do this conversation on my way, it would come out 10,000 times better than when mm -hmm. I have to ask these five sp specific word for word questions. 
because that's just where I struggle, I fall apart. I hate that stuff. Like, I can't do it. I like just going easy and being chill, natural, but I'm not an actor and I can't follow a script at all. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot tougher, I think. It's really hard, like, as someone who's doing literally, like, voice acting, it's really hard to do something and sound casual. It is very easy to sound announcery or, yeah. like, you're not interested, even though you're literally talking about something you've been doing for the last 10 years. <laughs> if you are told, say it. Like, it's just, it's such a weird difference to it. So it's definitely a skill. But yeah, you can't script it. I agree. I think some of these other esports are just going way too much like a a news presenter type thing. Mm. And it, it does feel a little bit weird. Yeah. Like, the only, you can, the argument you can make for it is that some of those shows, they feel really tight, right? Like, everything sure. is exactly uh, on the dot and it's perfect and it's paced the way they want it. But I don't get a natural feeling out of it at all. And I don't find it enjoyable. Like, um, if I watch the StarCraft event and I'm not there, but I see, like, you guys just having a good time with each other and just kind of bantering back and forth, I find that 10,000 times more fun than seeing people follow this very exact script that comes down to seconds. Like, I'd rather see a little awkward, like, well, are we going to throw it to a pause? And then you have Kolaris making a weird face. Yes, guys, apparently we're trying to throw it to a pause. You know, I find that stuff funny and that... That like makes me feel like, you know, uh, I don't know if it's like engaged or you build up a relationship with these guys that you see, but I'm just like, yeah, they're human like me. And it feels a lot more human-like than in my opinion when it becomes so robotic where people are like, all right, it's like tight, tight, tight. It's like, it looks cool, but it doesn't feel cool to me. It's, yeah, tearing down a bit of a barrier. I think... Most people would say not well. It's kind of weird because in StarCraft, we're also one of the esports that is kind of required um, to have a Twitch stream as well. When some of these other guys actually like when they make it to the top, they yeah. are they are not online very much any anymore. So there's that, but there's also yeah, the actual broadcast can kind of tear down a bit of that barrier of like, oh, this guy isn't some guy telling me what's up. He's actually a friend, and I am listening mm -hmm. to my friend talk. So. I think that's that was born in StarCraft, again, one of the original esports, but also our, you know, very original casters, I think, all had the same idea of just being super casual. And you start off with Homestory Cup. <laughs> that's a great example. <laughs> the tasteosis always a bit uh, not suit and tie <laughs> from the very yeah. get-go. So and I think we've just, we don't ever want to change that. I will watch other esports and appre appreciate the pageantry and the, as you said, the tightness, but... I can't imagine Maynard going up there and like doing like Fox News anchor banter. <laughs> like it just, it would feel really weird and look yeah. really weird. So I'm not even going to bother asking if we should ever do it because I don't, I'm personally the belief we never should. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I feel like there were times as well where we actually did have pretty serious meetings before a WCS global final, like BlizzCon basically, where mm -hmm. people are like, all right, this is the global finals. And uh, we, want, we want to make this serious. This is a serious broadcast. We've got a lot of new people watching. So no inside jokes. We're going to tone it down with the humor. And I can get behind like the no inside jokes, you know, because a joke that's funny to 12 people is not funny to, you know, 20,000 people watching the stream. So I can definitely get behind some of that. Mm -hmm. But I feel at one point they were taking it way too far where they were actually... I actually remember there were there was a one BlizzCon, and I don't know if this was 2016 or something, 2015, 2016, or 2017, one of those, where I, I felt, you know, like I said before, I always kind of judge myself and talk to myself, like, whether this was good or not. And I'm like, 
I really don't think I'm adding much to this broadcast. Like, basically, I feel like we all became the same commentator. All eight of us that were there, we're all mm. basically, we're sounding the same, we're talking the same, and yeah, we're all just casting StarCraft, and some games are good and some games are bad. But I was like, I don't actually find this that fun. And that was like the first time in a long time where I had like one or two events. I was like, well, I'm going to be a big boy over here. I'm very happy I'm here. You know, I'm still on the other side of the world. I'm still talking about my favorite video game and I got paid well for it. So I'm not going to be dramatic about this because, you know, a lot of people have to go to work and work is not always fun. So that's kind of how I saw it too. But I was like, man, this does kind of sting because I feel like this is supposed to be the highlight of my year. This is the global finals. This is the biggest of the coolest events. And I just felt I did a kind of mediocre job and had a mediocre amount of fun. Well, normally I have an insane amount of fun. I really generally enjoy every single StarCraft event and there is laughter and there's good memories I take home. I was like, this felt like a business trip and I don't know how I felt about it. And I'm really happy that after like a year or like two, three events when that passed, they were like, all right, guys, you can loosen up a little bit again. You know, it, it's totally okay to have fun, have jokes, obviously keep it appropriate. But yeah, just be yourself. And I was like, Phew, that's nice because I really didn't like this part where we all felt the same. And I was like, what's the point of having eight commentators of eight different places on the world? You know, sometimes even eight different countries. And, and they all made us the same. I was like, what's happening to our personalities? And I really didn't like that. Hmm. I wish I remembered more about it to try and guess which one it was, but 2017 would have been when I was there, and I'm not sure that was... There was problems with that <laughs> BlizzCon that I don't yeah. think are what you're talking about. So it must have been one of the previous ones. But yeah, I no, I think that. it was 2015 or 2016, something like that. And I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, well, we're going to do our job, but I feel like you're kind of robbing us of our chance to have fun and also making this a better show because I didn't think it was making a better show at all. It's like, sure, you could say it was slightly more professional, but also five times more boring. And then yeah. I, I rather have, because I always feel like we don't cast to, you know, a bunch of uh, stockbrokers that are all 40 and have a family at home. Like we're, we're casting <laughs> for people kind of like you and I, you know, well, I'm getting a bit older, but just in general, young people who want to have a smile on their face when they're watching StarCraft and they want to see cool StarCraft and the players should absolutely always get appreciated and applauded for their awesome moves. And yes, it is important to focus on that but it's also just important to make it a fun broadcast and we're capable of that. So let's not remove that of the broadcast. I wonder if that had anything to do with Blizzard's overall goal at that point, because that would have been when Heroes of the Storm was kind of like their mm-hmm. their baby and their Overwatch League in, in training. <laughs> I wonder if that was an overall thing for BlizzCon that year. But I know exactly what you're talking about. It's actually to a lesser degree, but same idea. Like I felt like WCS as a whole was getting quite tired it's one of the reasons I think I Am Katowice was such a, for many people, was actually the best tournament. It wasn't just because yeah. it was also across region and, and offline and all that, but it was, it was more chill. It did have the big stage, of course. But yeah, the, the more chill thing, where everyone got to be themselves again, felt like such a breath of fresh air compared to not just BlizzCon, but all the WCSs that were happening basically from not the first iteration of WCS back in the 2015. Circuits. The, the circuit. circuit. There you go. Yeah, exactly. The circuit. It all got kind of tiresome. Did you have, I mean, you're one of the OG guys. So did you ever like pitch in and be like, hey, is it, you know, can we loosen up a little bit? Like this is getting a little bit tiresome. Yeah, at the WCS events, most of the time when Mark was in charge, it was actually quite okay because uh, we could always banter with Mark and I knew Mark for such a long time. So 
I didn't really feel it. I felt when WCS felt maybe tiresome, I think that had more to do with the fact that the broadcasts were always the same. And mm-hmm. the things that were wrong with the circuit events, like, for instance, people have no idea, but I got so freaking angry, like three, four events in a row, where on the first day, they basically had that triple group stage stuff, right? Like the run mm-hmm. on the 28, where there's like 12 groups of four, and then it's like second group stage, 12 groups of four, third group stage, 12 groups of four, and multiple events in a row on the first day, we didn't show all 12 groups. And sometimes we would even start a series after we just wrapped up group stage A and like, okay, player, let's say Masa advances to the second group stage. Next up is TLO versus Haas. And I'm like, okay, uh, we have a desk segment. Nobody shows graphics of the second group stage. I'm like, guys, like, what is happening over here? It's like, okay, the game is ready. We're going into game. I was like, we don't even know who's in this group. Like, we didn't even announce to the people at home who were in the group of TLO and Haas that were about to play. Those are two random players. I don't know if they ever played. And I was like, this is terrible. I was like, we got to fix this. They're like, oh yeah, there's too many graphics and we don't have time. I was like, I was like, what kind of story are we telling here? We're just showing two random players. We don't even know if the other two players in this group are Saru and Raynor and this match doesn't <laughs> freaking matter. Or if they're like Jimmy and Bob and this match also doesn't matter because they're both going to make it. Like... I hated that kind of stuff and I felt like we really could have improved that and I did my absolute best on making that stuff better. But I think in the end, when it came to the circuit events, I think it was mostly just an issue of being short on time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the events were boring, even though like, you know, at one point Sarah was too good and maybe before that Neve was too good. I don't know. I think the events were as good as the games were. But that's also just because I feel like you're working with a very limited space time and i think overall potential like i know everybody would love to see like sick preview videos of players that have been there for a week and practicing but those events are just everybody flies in on thursday a lot of people play on friday they go home on saturday you know and the production they come maybe one day in advance but they don't have those venues set up so they couldn't really do much more like i understand it from both sides and i felt like it it was all right Uh, i think the humor and fun factor was quite okay at those events I just think overall the format, it became a bit boring. Uh, I think that's just what it was, that every event eventually started feeling the same, especially when they keep being won by the same players as well. Like that's obviously doesn't help in trying to keep things fresh. Yeah, that that didn't help. Same race, same player, same matchup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, did not help that. But yeah, I really thought that it was getting... I, I actually, I feel like you're in, like, you're not, you don't remember, but I feel like that was actually an exact thing that happened at, like, Montreal, was that you were like, wow, I can't believe they didn't show that, and it was TLO versus Haas, like, because oh. I remember that moment, too, and being like, yeah, that actually is kind of weird, because that was the event that two players that weren't expected to make it through actually did, and we were like, oh my god, that's really amazing, and I don't think we ever mentioned it. You yeah. you fitted in, I think, is what happened. You were like, by the way, speaking of, and you, you fitted in before like they went to to break or something, but it took a effort. <laughs> yeah, no, but like I, I always, I'm not the guy who wants to make up storylines. Like there was a meme in soccer for, but I was like, it's all about storylines, 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 and I was like, well, you can't force storylines, but if they're there, you absolutely have to tell them, and even if they're not there, you have to show the people what happened, and the fact that. We would say there on a Friday and we would basically cast six completely random best of threes spread over six different groups. And we didn't even show updates of the second group stage. We didn't even show who advanced. We didn't even show the other players in the group. And then at the end of the day, we'd have a meeting. And then people were like, 
I think this was a really good first day. And then I would be that annoying kid in class. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't think it was a good day. And then like you could see the looks, you know, of Blizzard people and people in production are like, uh, who are you and what? And I was like, I was like, what what story are we telling if we don't even show? And it's like, yeah, there was a problem with the graphics machine, blah blah blah. I was like, I was like, that's okay, and I understand it, and we're limited, and I understand budget stuff too. I was like, but we can't say if it's a good day if we just showed random games of StarCraft and we didn't even show the people at home which part of the tournament we were broadcasting. I was like, I'm sorry, but I refuse to call that a good day. And that yeah. happened two or three times. Oh. you ever think about going into any type of tournament production a la Apollo? Uh, yes and no. I definitely do think that is something I would be good at. I feel like mm-hmm. I have often uh, over the years, there was especially a time with Nate when ESL America just opened, but they barely had any people there and they barely had any people who had any experience running events, yet we had to run the WCS Premier League back then. And like, I actually went over, you can ask Nate about that stuff too, but went over the interview, said which questions were good, which questions were bad, which part of the show we would fit in that interview, when it would make sense to show it, the flow of graphics. And I actually had meetings with all those people. It wasn't my job at all, but I was the one with the most talkative experience. I was like, all right, but do this, 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 that flow is good. And it actually worked and it gave me satisfaction. It gave me happiness. Cause then when the broadcast was over, and even though I was casting it as well, I was like, pretty good day i was like i'm kind of proud of that you know like i did a lot more than i was supposed to and obviously i never got compensated or paid for any of that stuff but it did give me satisfaction and happiness but i wouldn't really want to give up uh the current lifestyle that i have right now mm-hmm. and that's just because like if i go into production right now then you're probably gonna have to move you're gonna have to work at an office because like i think being in production is really fun when there are events Cause that's when you see basically baby or you see basically see your baby blossom and you're like, you can enjoy it. You experience it. You're emotionally invested mm-hmm. and it will feel like a victory. If an event job well done, you know, everything goes smooth in the end, but there's also a month at the office. Then I'm like, Holy hell. Like I, I wouldn't want to do that right now. All the paperwork, the emailing, all, <laughs> you know, that kind of planning. And I'm like, no, then I actually kind of prefer my current lifestyle of just streaming, entertaining, um obviously still casting and traveling to events but i just have a lot more freedom with this lifestyle right now than i would have if i would actually work in production maybe one day but just not yet seems like it'd be a good fit but yeah not ready for the office job yet i understand that (laughs) yeah beyond the um back on the subject of the actual events we can basically have a lot of excuses for blizzard that are not just excuses they're correct like money uh, funding was a problem Mm -hmm. The amount of people on a project were a problem, you know, getting to the right person and then having them not have to talk to a dozen other people to get confirmation was a problem. Like a lot of things stopped WCS from evolving, even though there were still a lot of very passionate people working on the StarCraft II events. But now that we've transitioned over to ESL and um, they're you know kind of the overseeing branch, even though we'd also be working with DreamHack <laughs> if it wasn't for little coronavirus do you think that we could expect when dreamhack comes back when the next iem is we could expect a very different broadcast or more flexibility in the broadcast more ability Mm. to talk with people 
I think the communication from the tournament organizer to us is actually going to be a bit better because I also just think that's a little more straightforward. I think in general, when it comes to, you know, people that are employed by Blizzard, it's a little more corporate. It's a little more strict by the book. If they want to give you a call, they can just like call you during office times. They probably have to schedule that in and then they can show that they've been working on this. And obviously with Sean right now being one of the big people in charge of the Pro Tour, like I could just be on WhatsApp and I'd be like, hey, Sean, what up, dickhead? Like, get back to me, you know? <laughs> so obviously you can't do that with Blizzard people, but with Sean, I can do that. So I think communication-wise, it's going to be a, a bit easier for a lot of us casters, that is. But I think when it comes to the actual events, I wouldn't get my hopes up that things are going to feel very different. Mm-hmm. I think there will be improvement for the players, uh, just things that they care about, because I know that like Sean is very open to that kind of, um, not even criticism of the past, but just feedback, I guess is the word I'm looking for. So I think there will be a lot of subtle things that will be better, but I think overall it's going to feel kind of the same. I think kind of the same, but a bit better, maybe a bit more fun, a bit more loose, but kind of the same. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, DreamHack still has, I think, their preferred way of doing things. These are the ones that's yeah. actually going to be setting things up and getting their people there, you know, however many days in advance. But it's also, um, <clears throat> all this is, you know, TBD to be determined here. Last question, because we're reaching the end here. You've <laughs> expressed interest in production and you obviously have a lot of good thoughts about how we should make things work. Do you have anything concrete that you can say on this podcast now that you wish StarCraft II tournaments would work on or improve? And, you know, imagine that money isn't really an issue and you would put into a StarCraft 2 broadcast? Um, I mean, that's kind of hard. I think this is one of these questions where the longer I think about it, the better of an answer I will have. But since mm-hmm. I don't have this prepared, I think that the first thing that comes to mind is when I watch TI and I see the videos they have made around their players, you know, where they visit like a family home and they let the dad speak about like one of the guys on the lines and stuff. I, I looked at that and I was like, man, this is just fucking awesome. You know, I never knew that I wanted this, but I think it would be super freaking cool if let's say like we know that Sarah against Reyna is going to happen again. And suddenly like we have some video footage of a little interview with Sarah's dad and then with Reyna's dad and you see from both sides. I honestly think that would make our tournaments just a lot better i know it's not realistic because of the way that our circuit works and stuff like that but i think that kind of stuff the side content uh or the b content b-roll whatever you want to call it i think all of that could be done a lot better and i think that would make the overall uh experience for the viewers at home definitely better as well but uh, i don't know i mean I, i think tournament format as well is like one thing that i have felt strongly about for a while i feel like we kind of find something that works for StarCraft, and then we just keep doing that forever and ever. And I'm like, man, like, I really wish... I actually, for instance, for the global finals, the the BlizzCon, I really hate the four groups of four and then the single limb bracket. I'm like, oh, it's so basic. It's so overdone. This has been done so many times. And the only thing that makes it special is that there is an insane amount of prize money and that this is the biggest tournament of the year. But other than that, it just feels like literally every other tournament so tournament format is definitely like the number one thing that i would change and maybe you would need like a day extra or even two days extra to implement some of my ideas but for instance for blizzcon i wrote everything out once in a notepad and i was like we can do this we can show the same amount of games and we'd have a much cooler format a little bit closer to ti you know with two big groups around robin and i was like i feel like we can make things more epic than doing the same thing over and over and over again 
you wrote it down did you ever get to show it to anyone yeah yeah i did get to show okay. it and they said like all right we'll take it into consideration <laughs> nothing got done <laughs> of course yeah that's uh that's frustrating but perhaps could change we really don't know what's going to happen for blizzcon <clears throat> there's been yeah, rumors no and they still intend to do something well blizzcon itself is a big question mark i suppose but um yeah maybe they could take your suggestions for that because i actually know uh, obviously you sent it in and didn't really get a super positive response but now, Fear Dragons also sent in a lot of things about how they've done their smaller tournaments. They definitely appreciate feedback, but again, with Blizzard, it was also one of those, like, I gotta talk to this guy, who has to talk to this guy, who has to talk to this yeah. guy. So, it should be more of a rapid-fire question and answer, like, can you do this? No. Okay. Can you do that? Maybe. Like, with um with ESL and Apollo. So, looking forward to the, the future, when, I guess, all the stuff has been blown over. I guess I, 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 also, I also really miss the... Uh... The setup we had of that BlizzCon, the Beyond Against Dark one, that's 2017, right? Unless I'm crazy. No. 2016? 2016, I think. Yeah. So when you had like the first person view of Beyond on the left side with him sitting on the left side on a really big yeah. monitor. And then the center monitor was just a neutral observer. And on the right side, first person view of Dark. That was one of the coolest fan experiences I've ever had in my life. Because I was basically just looking like first person of Dark for like the last 20 minutes of one game. And I was just like... I felt dizzy. I felt drunk after watching it. I was like, man, this is actually such a cool and unique, bizarre experience. So I definitely wish we would bring some of that stuff back as well, because I thought that was awesome. Yeah, wasn't that really actually big, um, huge, hugely pushed by Apollo? Because he always liked mm -hmm. the idea of showing how tough StarCraft 2 was. Yeah, I, I think that I, I don't know uh, whose idea it was, but I think that was one of the coolest viewing experiences I at least had as a fan. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure for BlizzCon specifically, but I remember him talking about that when it came to showing I am Katowice first person. It just was, apparently it's always a technical issue that stops it. Yeah, there, yeah. There's something, it has something to do with the amount of hertz that people like to play on. And if right. you want to show that first person view, then I think you have to scale the hertz down. I don't know exactly how it works because I'm terrible with tech, but yeah, that's what it had to do with. Yeah, but that was an amazing experience for sure because I, I was definitely a fan <clears throat> watching that unfold. So would be cool to bring that back would be cool to have the arena again really have no idea what Blizz yeah. blizzcon would have been like but i think if we have i do think there is going to be starcraft this year at blizzcon but yeah. i actually know nothing the only thing that i expect is that it's probably like somewhat invitational based maybe very small qualifiers for one or two spots and like a very small tournament probably still prestigious maybe with a lot of prize money as well but I, I don't, they can't really do another world championship. That doesn't make any sense, right? Because Katowice is the world championship now. So you got to do something different. So I think mm -hmm. they'll just, like, it may very well be Saro against Maru, best of nine, you know? Like, <laughs> hey, maybe that's all you need. Put $20,000 on the line, and I think every soccer fan will be pleased. Let's go. <laughs> Damn, I think that would be perfect. They used to have show yeah. matches for BlizzCon. So that, like, I mean, kind of be in line with what they did. That would be sick. But all right gonna wrap it up here thank you so much for talking to me rotterdam whenever a lot of stuff still have more stuff to talk about you with you about in the future if you're willing to come on for a part two but i really appreciate it and all the technical problems just unfortunate so i feel weird for saying sorry but yeah sorry i've taken up more of your time than usual just weird things happened it was cursed broadcast uh, production day guys i don't know but rotterdam go ahead and tell us uh, where everyone can find you uh, first of all, no worries, of course. I know how it goes, but I actually felt like it was still kind of short. I enjoyed talking to you, Jason. It was fun. 
Uh, so yeah, I stream pretty much every single day, twitch.tv slash Rotterdam08. And that is honestly the, the main place to find me. Like I, I still have a Twitter account, but I don't really use it that much, but it's also Rotterdam08. I do post very cute pictures of Rico and Ronda, the two bull mastiffs of my brother, on Instagram.com slash Rotterdam08. So that's pretty much it. But yeah, if you really want to interact with me, then Twitch is the best place to find me. I don't have a exact streaming schedule and that's mostly because i don't want to clash with other big international starcraft events i don't want to be like i have to be live at 11 and then the gsl starts at 11 i'm like oh well this sucks you know so my times vary but i am live almost every single day that i'm not traveling so you guys can always find me there and then of course thank you jess for having me and i'll definitely be part for uh, or i'll definitely be back for part two eventually thank you roddy um so guys check them out Probably all know who he is anyways, but if you don't, definitely check him out. And thank you for listening to Caster Calls. Next week, I'll be talking with a PUBG caster, Paperthin. So look forward to that. See you guys. Sorry again about the technical problem at the start, but hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast nonetheless. Thank you again to the people who already support over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash zombiegrub. And a special shout out to Alexander, Nick, and Steven for continuing to help this podcast continue in a really big way. Please check out the Patreon and see what rewards might interest you. The plan is to swap to a podcast release every two weeks instead of every week starting in June, but rather than being a sad thing, hopefully it means people can enjoy more tier rewards per month since this was a Patreon based on per episode release payments. So hopefully this means that it's a bit better for your budget and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Caster Calls.